grace, peace, and mercy to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. I said at the second service, if you can't preach after that, you can't preach. But it also occurs to me that we're in a very good position to listen after that. I am uh, so glad to be with you in any case, but I am so glad to be with you as you do the run-up toward Joe's 20th anniversary. I dearly love Joe and count him as my dear friend and colleague in ministry. And as you may know, his best friend Kyle will preach next Sunday on that occasion, and Kyle sent word this week that I am the warm-up act for real preaching next week. So I'm glad to get to do that. These 50 days of Easter are a time for a contest between the power of death and the power of life to see which one will be the truth of our existence. When we think of death, we think of funerals and cemeteries and hearses and mortuaries, but that's not what the New Testament means by death. The New Testament means that power that is at work all the time to negate our lives, to talk us out of our best selves, to talk us out of joy, and to talk us out of any daring future. And that power of death is at work all the time with rich and poor, well and sick, old and young. What that power wants to persuade us is that there is no future and that things are not going to change at all and so that you ought to settle in cynicism and despair. The power of death has many tools in its kit to persuade us. It has the tool of fear that wants us always to be afraid, to be very afraid, because your life is under threat and you ought to play it safe and hide wherever you can. The power of death has a tool, a sense of scarcity that there's not enough to go around, there's not enough food, there's not enough money, there's not enough health care, there's not enough grace. So it ought to be rationed so only the right people have access to it. The power of death has as a tool, as a result of scarcity, greed, that you ought to have more and more, and you don't have enough yet, and you probably won't have enough ever, and you ought to get what you can, and you ought to take whatever you can from your neighbor, because you're entitled to it. Does this sound familiar to you? The ultimate tool of the power of death is violence. And in the Roman Empire, the ultimate expression of the ultimate tool of violence was the cross. It was the electric chair of the Roman Empire. And the electric chair is used whenever you need to get rid of somebody who is too dangerous or is too unlike us. And what a marvel as we've taken that Roman electric chair 
as the great symbol of our faith because the chair, the cross, is empty. But there are many other forms of violence. There are all the isms of racism and ageism and sexism and classism and nationalism. These are all tools to keep that death wants us not to care about the neighborhood. And it is as though death has slammed the door on any future possibility for life. And then imagine, then imagine that the disciples were all hunkered down in fear And John says, the door was shut. And then abruptly and inexplicably, he stood among them. He did. He just came there. It was an Easter moment. It was the kind of Easter moment that led Peter in the book of Acts to say, death couldn't hold him. He's on the loose. He stood among them and he said to his frightened disciples, Peace be to you. And then John says that he breathed on them. He breathed on them new life. He energized them out of their deathly fear. And then he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, because you know in the Bible, spirit and breath are the same word. So he said, receive holy breath. And they all took a deep breath. And then he said to them, I anoint you to be carriers of forgiveness. You go. This is a moment around which our faith pivots. But then it occurred to me that Jesus' entire life is one long Easter deal in which his power for life breaks in upon the power of death. So John the Baptist sent word and said to Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I don't know because they haven't written the creeds yet. (laughs) But I'll tell you that everywhere I go, stuff happens. Everywhere I go, the blind see and the deaf hear and lepers are cleansed and the lame walk and the dead are raised and the poor dance. Ask John what he thinks about that. So he came among sinners and tax collectors who were ostracized and he said, you all come on back in. He came among lepers who were ritually contaminated but he wasn't afraid of them. He touched them and heal them. He came among blind people and he said, open your eyes and see the future. And they did. He came among people with bad backs 
And he said, stand up straight. He fed, he healed, he forgave. In fact, Jesus was a one-person rehabilitation program who lifted people out of the power of death and authorized them to a new life of freedom and joy and well-being. He came among them. He said, peace. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he restored their capacity to live after the power of death wanted to sap them of their capacity for life. It was an astonishing moment. And he did it all the time. So it is no wonder that the church sings and says Psalm 19, 16 on this day. Did you, did you get those words? The psalmist says, you will not abandon me. You will show me the path of life. You did not give me up to Sheol. With you, my body is secure. This is an Easter song. So it turns out that Easter is an act of defiance that looks death full in the face and says, I don't have to be cynical. I don't have to be passive. I don't have to be in despair because Jesus has opened the door to new futures. It is an awesome moment into which we have been baptized. So, 50 days in which we are invited to think about that contest between the power for death and the power for life that is going on in our bodies and that is going on in the body politic. You can see in the body politic that fear, scarcity, greed, and violence are on the move. And the Easter people of God say, not true. So I thought, how should we participate in this contest? And I thought of four ways that were suggested to me by the text. The first way to participate in this contest between the power of life and the power of death is to see Jesus clearly. So the first disciples on that night saw him, except Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe I don't see him. And Jesus said, here I am, take a look. And Thomas said, oh my God. Well, he said, oh my Lord and my God. Now, we don't get to see Jesus. We're too late. Except in another place, Jesus said, the pure in heart will see God. So maybe this is an invitation to pure hearts. 
But the second way to participate in this contest that John tells you, it's a very strange little paragraph at the end. Maybe you noticed it if you were listening. After Jesus reports this about Thomas and all that, then he does a little critical reflection, and he says, Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. And they said, These things, meaning the Gospel of John, these things are written in order that you may believe. The writing is to give us faith. So it means to study and to savor the narrative of Jesus. My pastor in Cincinnati uh, was not raised in a church family, and he went to Stanford, and the woman that he was finally going to marry told him, as a freshman, try reading the Gospel of John. And he read it and became a believer. These things are written, but that means that we need to have done with television commercials and political jingles and all the hate rhetoric and the ideology. It's the story of Jesus that is the narrative of the power of life amid all these songs and stories about the power of death. The third way in which we participate in this contest is to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, for most of us, this is not an abrupt, ecstatic event. It is the slow coming to awareness that God's breath is being breathed through us so that when we inhale and we exhale, it is like Breathing out and breathing in, we grow accustomed to his ways. And we become aware that the life we are living is not our own life, but it is a life that is being continually given to us by the power of God. The power of death wants us to believe that there are no such life gifts. But we know better. The fourth way I can think of in which we participate in this contest is by acting. Did it ever occur to you, as it did to me, that the first history of the church is called the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's not called the piety of the Apostles or the doctrine of the Apostles or the liturgy of the Apostles or the polity of the Apostles. It's called the Acts of the Apostles that turned the world upside down. So one way to participate in this struggle for our future is to be acting in the power of life. Joe says, I can tell you this story. You all know Will Campbell, the great freedom fighter from Tennessee. He was an old man, and he was going through airport security with his cane, and the security officer 
took his cane and put it ten feet away and said, there's your cane, old man. And Will Campbell said, hand me my cane. He said, you go get it. Now, Will Campbell could have walked over there, but instead he flopped on his belly and crawled over to his cane, which led all of the bystanders to start hissing at the security officers. Now, here's the punchline. His wife said, now, why did you do that? And he said, because I'm a Baptist. (laughs) The church has spent too much time talking about saving souls. What the Bible cares about are our bodies. So the question is, where shall we put our body? Death wants us to be couch potatoes. Wants us to retreat and be passive and indifferent and not care. But Jesus called his earliest apostles to get their bodies moving into the neighborhood. So I would be suggesting to you for these 50 days that you reflect on where you're putting your body and how you are deploying your body for the sake of the neighborhood. Because baptized people who have received God's breath have energy and courage and stamina to be risking for the sake of a future when death says that there is no future. So Easter is a big act of defiance that simply refuses the power of fear and scarcity and greed and violence because there is no future in any of that. So I thought about Highland as I prepared for this morning. And I thought about all the churches. And I thought all these churches, including Highland, are writing the next chapter in the history of the church. And the title of that history is The Acts of the Apostles. It's an astonishing history of life in which we are engaged. Let us pray. Giver of life, Lord of mercy, spirit of newness, we are your people. We breathe you in And we breathe you out. And we find our bodies filled with courage and energy and freedom and joy. Give us good hearts that we may walk bravely and boldly into futures about which death does not want us to know. We pray in your 
Easter name. Amen.